HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Nicholas Komen, who's the co-founder and oleologist, and we'll, we'll define what that term is, of Grove and Vine, an, an olive oil company that really chases the freshest olive oil around the world. And it was odd how this all happened. It was a, a whole bunch of backpacking around the world led Nick to Arezzo, Italy, where the Benedictine monk Guido uh, Monaco invented the written musical notation. So we're going to start actually with that. Can, can you sing or say that scale for me? So that's just the classic scale that we all know as Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti. And then it repeats with the Do an octave higher. And that is the written musical notation, the five-line staff that everything Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and everyone else based Western music on. And it was created by this Benedictine monk who... Uh, kind of created this note system on a staff to uh, dictate not only pitch, but also rhythm. Yeah, it, we'll figure out how that relates back to olive oil. And oddly, I've been to Arezzo. I went to Da Giovanna on the, on the word of Sarah Jenkins to go have some pasta with porcinis. Mm. Um, but 
a lot of people associate olive oil with that area of Italy. Um, we are going to have the pleasure of tasting olive oil from South Africa today. The first time it's ever actually been in this country. So there is olive oil around the world, but l let's talk about Allendale, New Jersey. How are the olive groves there? Um, well, I'm, that's where I'm from. Um, I'm a resident of Allendale, New Jersey. Uh, I grew up just outside New York City uh, my whole life, and there was no olive oil growing up. We had a more of a ketchup, mustard, and mayo culture and uh, industrial food that you buy at Costco and keep in a giant freezer and then warm it up when you want to eat it. That's kind of how I grew up. Um, so there was no olive oil. And then when I did discover olive, fresh olive oil, high-quality stuff, it completely changed my perspective of how and what I should be eating. Yeah, I mean, what is olive oil? Let's define it. Uh, is it a fruit? Is it a vegetable? So the olive is a stone fruit related to the peach and the cherry and the plum and apricot. Um, however, there are a few things about it that make it highly unique in the world of fruit. One, it's inedible off the tree. You can't eat an olive raw. All the olives you eat have been cured in some sort of solution to leach out this bitter, acrid substance called glycosides. And so it's very rare because most fruits you can eat off the tree and they're delicious and wonderful, but the olive is not like that. Secondly, most fruits don't have this high oil content in them. The olive is unique in that capacity. You press oranges, you get orange juice, cherries, cherry juice, plums, plum juice, but olive oil... You do get water and oil that come out of it, but the oil can be separated and you have this lipid in this fruit, which is really amazing. And then another thing is that the olive tree never dies. There are trees that are thousands and thousands of years old, and it has the ability to regenerate itself from the pollens that grow directly from the roots. So as the tree gets older, new shoots pop up and it grows outward. And uh, I've been fortunate to visit some, you know, 2,000 plus year old trees throughout the Mediterranean so it's uh, this alien-like um, fruit tree that grows all around us. Or maybe it's actually, um, you know, that, that tonic or, or thing that is of life. You know, there's always something about the fountain of youth, but maybe it is actually the fountain of olive oil. But you mentioned that Mediterranean area, that, that fertile crescent. Is that where the origins of olive oil began? Yeah, it's more in like the modern-day Syria and the Tigris and Euphrates and really Mesopotamia. And as humans moved west, they brought the olive tree with them. And so the olive tree and olive oil is distinctly connected through the backbone of Western civilization and has been around for about 8,000 years and is now a global food. It's not just found in the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean does not have a monopoly on quality, but you can make great oil all over the world, but it comes down to producer by producer. A producer has to be planting the right cultivar in the correct microclimate to get a balanced fruit during the available growing season. They need to be pruning the trees properly so all branches receive equal parts sunlight and oxygen. You need to harvest the fruit at the right time because all olives start their life green and ripen to a deep purplish black. The color reflects a stage of maturation. If you harvest early when the olive is green, there's less oil in it, but it's more grassy, bitter, peppery, vibrant, and robust. If you harvest later when the olive is dark purple, you get more quantity of oil, but it tends to be more mellow and soft and delicate. So knowing when to harvest that particular cultivar is very important. Then how the olives are got from the tree to the mill. You want them in mint condition as quickly 
as possible and it has to be milled in a sanitary, clean environment that is temperature controlled. And equally important, it has to get into the consumer's hand fresh because olive oil after two years becomes rancid. So freshness is a key component to quality. So in buying oil, check the date. So up until that point of freshness, it seems like the lexicon, uh, much of it is analogous to that of wine. You know, it is a seasonal, regional thing. Um, aside from freshness, are there any other offshoots? Are there any other divergences? Um, the cultivar used is huge. Um, there are hundreds of different olive cultivars throughout the world, and depending on which olive you use and when it's harvested, you're going to get different flavors and textures that you want to pair with different cuisines and courses. Can, can we talk about some of those descriptors? Bitter, peppery. Um, I've also heard green as a descriptor of olive oil, too, even though that might be... Uh, you know, not not on your map. Um, what what are the notes that you're looking for if you're someone who has never tasted olive oil before? What what are those initial terms that you hope to instill in somebody? The first thing you want to do when tasting olive oil is pour it in some sort of small cup, kind of like a shot glass, um, and just warm it in the palm of your hand in the glass and cup it with the other hand to trap the aromas. After about 30 seconds, the volatile aromas will begin to lift, and then you just want to smell it. And what do you smell? Do you smell green tomato leaf? Do you smell almond? Do you smell freshly cut grass? Do you smell leaves? Do you smell um, floral notes? Do you smell defects? Does it smell whiny or vinegary or grubby or musty? Those would be things that you don't want in the olive oil. So the first thing you do is smell, and then when you taste it, you do this method called strippaggio, and where you create this repetitive spray effect in the mouth, the oil hits all parts of the mouth cavity and it unlocks those volatile aromas. I know I know, we're going to taste these in a little bit and you'll make that strapaggio sound, but that also sounds very much like something Guido Monaco might have come up with too. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I've seen opera singers kind of do something similar to work their vocal cords. Yeah, it's important to taste things a certain way um, to unlock the flavor potential within that thing. Let's talk about that first time you unlocked the flavor potential of olive oil. And how did you ever find yourself in Arezzo? And, and what was it about that first sip that made olive oil the rest of your life? Okay, this is a long story that I'll try to keep short. <laughs> I was 24 years old. I had a record label. I couldn't make any money because everyone was downloading music for free. I didn't know what to do. So I took a trip from the Arctic Circle down to the Sahara Desert with a backpack by myself, sleeping on overnight trains, meeting people and sleeping on their couches, and making many a meal of bread and water alone. I went through about 14 countries, um, and I happened to be in Italy at the time of the olive harvest, and I happened to be put in contact with this woman named Nadia Gasparini Rossi from the town of Arezzo, who runs this small villa called Mulin Maria, and she took me into her family during the olive harvest, and I found myself in Tuscany hand harvesting and hand cleaning olives and making oil at a world caliber level. And the first time I ever had olive oil fresh, like the real thing, which you'll never forget, she had made this Tuscan dish called ribolita, which is this like classic Tuscan peasant soup composed of four main ingredients, black cabbage, white cannellini beans, stale Tuscan bread, and tons of fresh olive oil. There's a whole bunch of other vegetables in there. But um, she made that, and you have to make it kind of the day before and let it sit, because the word ribolita means to reboil, which you want to then warm up the next day so all the flavors amalgamate. And she warmed this up and then poured the fresh oil all over it. And the moment that happened, the aromas wafted upwards into my nose, and it connected the whole dish. And it was still one of the most unforgettable food moments of my life. And um, it is under her tutelage 
and her wisdom that I learned whatever it is that I learned. She still is my mentor and I visit her every year and she is like a life. She's one of my best friends. I yeah. love her. I mean, you, you talked about this recipe uh, using olive oil as an accent for this old bread soup, but we, we were so used to uh, assuming that not only bread will be on the table, but often a little thing of olive oil will come by its side. Um, I don't know if you know where that started, but what do you think about that being a first course? Where does olive oil have a place in, in the grander scheme of a meal? Um, olive oil has a place at the very outset of the meal before it's even on the table. It's usually the first thing in the pan or the food is marinating in it before it even hits the pan. Then the olive oil is in the pan. And yes, you can cook an extra virgin olive oil. The smoke points around 400 degrees Fahrenheit. So don't be afraid of that. And it evenly conducts and distributes heat in a pan. It conducts and delivers the flavors of something like garlic and delivers that flavor into the food. And then you want to finish raw because olive oil really is the ultimate sauce. And when the food is on your plate right before you eat it, you then pour the olive oil on very generously. And when you use the olive oil raw, the flavor is more separate and distinct. So it has a place perhaps before you cook in the marinating. It has a place during the cooking process. And it has a place as a sauce at the end. So it is a mandatory requirement to a well-rounded meal. And what about frying an olive oil? I mean, you've talked about the smoke point, but it, does it decimate what it is? Does it... Uh... You cook the nuances out of it, and you cook some of the antioxidant benefits out of it, but it's still clean, and you can fry at 365 degrees, so you can absolutely fry an extra virgin olive oil. Um, the one thing you might want to make sure you get is a filtered olive oil, because the small micro and macroscopic bits of olive sediment in an unfiltered oil can burn if you're frying it those higher temperatures. But um, olive oil is your friend in the kitchen. And when you have a bottle of olive oil, what you have are possibilities because it goes with vegetables, bread, fish, pastas, soups, meats, um, even desserts with olive oil gelato or olive oil cakes being made. It, it really is one of the most uh, fundamental ingredients uh, in any cook's kitchen other than maybe salt. Yeah. And so aside from yourself and your business, Grove and Vine, um, I feel like there are best times, or we, we've, we have the preconcept of there are best times to buy olive oil. Uh, for Italy, you have the Olio Nuovo, and you know we think we're getting this new olive oil in January, yet it had been pressed months prior, but it's only arriving at our shores then. Um, is there any kind of truism as to only buy fresh olive oil and it's only within a specific month, or are there fresh olive oils around the world at all times? The harvest is... In each hemisphere, the harvest only happens once. So in the northern hemisphere, which is the entire Mediterranean, um, California, um, the harvest is really mainly in October and November. In the southern hemisphere, in South Africa, Argentina, Chile, Australia, New Zealand, etc., the harvest is really in late April, May, and June. So you can chase the harvesting of fresh oil every six months, which is what my company does and what I focus my life around because that is an unassailable um, business model to always get the freshest oil on the planet into people's hands and get them to taste the world of olive cultivars, which is really important to me that people realize that olive oil isn't just olive oil, but there is a world of olive oil. And depending on which ones you use, you're going to gravitate towards different producers or cultivars in general. It's just like wine. It's just like cheese. It's just like vinegar. Um, so that's really important to me. But, um, 
it's not just about freshness because you can get a fresh olive oil where the fruit has been damaged during the process and the oil isn't going to taste good. So you want fresh olive oil, but you also want it from a reputable producer, ideally from a single estate. You don't want your olives blended from all different countries. Um, it should come from one area where they're kind of harvested and extracted in the same mill, ideally. And um, it's the same with wine. You, you don't want wine where the grapes come from Spain and Tunisia and Morocco and Turkey all blended together. You want a wine where it's like a certain grape or a blend of grapes from a single vineyard. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk to you about how you became the chief oleologist at Italy and go through a little olive oil tasting class. But we also have a little treat. You yourself are a musician. It wasn't just that you stopped in Arezzo on, on a larf and you know, found uh, Guido Monaco and the Dore Mi Fa Sole. Uh, you study and, and care about music as a great part of your life as well. So uh, can you introduce this tune that we're going to listen to during the break? So I've, I have a recording studio at my home, and, and I love recording music just for the fun of it because I think it's really healthy and uh, therapeutic to make music. And anyone out there who wants to make music, I really encourage you to take that step. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so I just record music at home at night for fun. And uh, this is something I did in the last few months. I've been working on these more kind of ambient, atmospheric, dream-like soundscapes. And this is in the Kia G, and it's made with an olive wood bass that I have and some guitar and a Nord Lead 2 synthesizer. Yeah, I love that you have an olive wood bass. I mean, did that come prior or after the olive oil addiction? That came after the olive oil addiction as I thought about how do I combine my love of olive oil with my love of music. And I was like, I'll just get a Carl Thompson left-handed four-string <laughs> short-scale olive wood bass. Yeah. Please tell me you actually play this music to the olive oil as it rests as well, like winemakers play, you know, opera. Um, I wish I did more of that, and I hope to do more of that in the future. But I currently don't do that. <laughs> in the meantime, a Nicholas Komen original. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by you. 
As an independent, member-supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on Heritage Radio Network is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fun drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael harlan Turkel. Here today with Nicholas Komen, the co-founder and oleologist of Grove and Vine Olive Oil. Uh, you got your start selling olive oil here in New York, too. Olivier's & Co., you worked at Italy for years. I actually first met you when I was on a tour with a group of people at Italy. I, I didn't know that you know we were actually going to be doing an olive oil tasting. I thought we were just touring around looking at bottles, and it was really... Um, it was at the same time I was trying to start my vinegar book. Mm. So thinking about single subjects and the, the depth that these things have, I don't think I had met anyone as, as prophetic about a single subject as you. So it was really inspiring to see someone wax poetic about olive oil in a way that not only retained everybody's attention, but the amount of information I walked away with was kind of ridiculous. Well, um, yeah, that's, that's nice to hear. What, what would you do at Italy? How would you conflate your knowledge into, say, a 30, 45-minute hour class? Um, I would do, at the time, I would do an hour and a half class at the culinary school, and basically I would focus, like, for example, Italy alone has over 500 different olive cultivars, and in, they have a 20 different regions, two islands, mountains that run down the whole peninsula. So you have this incredible variety of flavor profiles from this one country. So I would pick oils, like an oil from Liguria made with the Tajasca olive that's very delicate and sweet and mellow. And we taste that and pair that with a delicate raw fish dish. And then we would try a Sicilian oil made with a Tonde Iblea olive that smells like green tomato leaves. It's more vibrant, and we do that with a bruschetta. And then we do like a grassy, bitter, peppery, assertive Tuscan oil and pair that with a Papa Pomodoro or some kind of soup or maybe a grilled meat to cut through and brighten it up. And then we'd end with like a medium-bodied oil that kind of was almost like a... It was its own unique thing from the other three, and we'd finish that with like an olive oil gelato or something with sea salt on top. And then we'd go through the harvesting and pressing process so people saw that... You don't really make olive oil. You find it because it's already within the fruit. So the quality and health of the fruit is a key component to determine that quality. And just get people to realize that this is like a healthy thing. It's, it's very different than canola oil or vegetable oil or corn oil. And it really deserves to be in a different part of a grocery store. It deserves to be in the produce section with the fresh fruits and vegetables, not with these industrial seed oils. I hear you. You know, I feel the same way about good vinegars. Um, people always ask about the health benefits, and we don't really have to go into the depth of that, but it does have some inherent things to it that are healthy. Uh, but what can you do? What, what are those takeaways? But what can you do to olive oil to, aside from frying, lose those benefits? Uh, if it sits around for too long, the olive oil becomes rancid, and it goes flat, and it loses some of its antioxidant properties. 
Um, if you cook it incredibly high heat and the smoke turns black, then I feel like that's with anything become a carcinogen, <laughs> not good. But it's okay if the olive oil smokes. Yeah. When that means you're cooking your food, if smoke is coming up. But if the smoke is black, it's different. Um, it's incredibly healthy. It's a fresh fruit oil. Uh, it's a monounsaturated fat. It has zero percent cholesterol. It's high in antioxidants and polyphenols. It satiates you and lets you know you're full. It delivers fat-soluble nutrients into the gut. It slows down digestion. And it allows you to prepare food in a very simple, easy way where if you have a great tomato, all you need is olive oil and a little sea salt. So it allows, I think, simple food preparation without covering things allows the ingredients to shine. Yeah, there's an Italian term that means what grows together goes together. It's chio shake crazy and CMA, blah, blah, blah. I'm terrible with Italian. But do you dictate uh, olive oils in the same way that uh, Italian food has to have Italian olive oils, Chilean food has to have Chilean, or is it cross-cultural? Um, you can do it, You can view it both ways. There's two ways to look at olive oil pairings. One is regional. So, for example, even in Italy, there's no such thing as Italian food. You have regional Italian food. And in Tuscany, they eat different food than what they eat in Sicily, which is different than what they eat in uh, the Veneto. So, if you're doing a classic ribolita or a papa pomodoro or a grilled steak, you really want that Tuscan olive oil to match that to give you an authentic representation of that dish. If you're having a Sicilian dish, you want to use Sicilian oil, etc. Another way to do it is to think of the intensity and weight of the food, and that can correspond with the intensity and weight of the oil. For example, if you use a really grassy, vibrant, assertive oil on a delicate piece of fish, it's really going to overwhelm that piece of fish and not really be balanced. However, it's very personal, and this is why it's important to taste your olive oil independent of food, and really let your palate dictate what you want to pair it with. Yeah, I mean, pestos, Ligurian olive oil makes sense. But say if you're doing like confits or olive poaching, um, it really depends on your own flavor profile. Absolutely. So let's talk about a couple of the other hemispheres. And then, well, the, the southern one. And let's talk about what we have in front of us. Because it's it's so cool to have, well, unreleased olive oil. Um you know, able for us to taste on air. Uh, what are we tasting and how do we taste it? So I just got back from South Africa. I went there for two weeks and visited about nine or 10 producers. Um, and I selected three olive oils to bring back um, for my company, Grove & Vine, all three of which are not distributed in the United States of America. Let's talk about the structure of Grove & Vine for a second, because this is what you do now. I mean, you bring back your own collections of olive oil. You, in sense, are a conduit for the greatest olive oil around the world, and people, what, get subscriptions but can also buy at retail. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually not in any stores. We go direct to consumer to control the quality. Um, I, I chase the harvest northern and southern hemisphere. I fly over at the moment of harvest. I visit these producers, and I taste the oil from the master tanks, and I leave with the ones that I think are the best. And at the end of the trip, I taste all the oils that are the best of the best from the different producers, and I select the oil that we want. We then airship the oil back, not bottled, because my mentor Nadia taught me never trust anyone with your olive oil. So I leave with a sample, the oil's airship back, I taste what I left with, with what arrives, it has to be identical, and then it gets bottled directly in front of me and immediately shipped out to our members all over the country and a bit internationally. So it's always fresh, it's always guaranteed, authentic quality by me, and I'm sourcing these oils um, 
because it's really important for me to expose great olive oil to people because once they try an amazing olive oil, it can change the way they eat. And that can be a very powerful way to connect with people. It, there's only a few months separation here, too, because you're selecting these things, what, in May, and they're going to be released in July. Yes, it gets. We sele- I selected them end of May, and it will get released to all our members early July. Uh, the next one gets released in September, and then late October, I'm in Northern Hemisphere doing the same thing again, sourcing fresh oil that gets released to the public, uh, usually first week of December, we get it out. So we're one of, if not the first people in the country with fresh olive oil. Well, let's taste this stuff. I mean, it's sitting in front of us and I can't wait. Yeah, let's drink some olive oil. So the first thing we're going to drink is this producer that we're releasing in July. They're called Wildecrans, and they're in the Bot River Valley in um, South Africa in the Western Cape. And this is made with a cultivar called the FS-17. FS-17 is a clone of the Frantoyo olive, and it was developed by Professor Fontanazza of Perugia. And it's like a Frantoyo, but it, the trees are shorter, and so the reduced height allows an easier... It facilitates harvesting easier, and it is spread throughout the world. And um, you can find some great FS-17 in Australia or in Chile, and this one's from South Africa. And... Um, Producers great, and they do everything very meticulously as far as harvesting and pruning and planting of the trees and the right cultivar and the right microclimate. And I got to visit them and see what they do, and, and the oil's great. So let's taste this. First, you want to put it in a small little cup, like a shot glass or something like that, and place it in the palm of your hand and cup it with the other hand, and then swirl it for about 20 or 30 seconds. The bottom palm warms the oil. The top palm traps the aromas. For Southern Hemisphere, counterclockwise and Northern clockwise? Um <laughs> If you need to do that, absolutely. Um, it's the tasting like of the oil toilets, is very right? personal, yeah. <laughs> like how the water goes down the toilet. Totally, yeah. it's totally different than that. You drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> it's really, it's crazy. How long do you agitate for? How long do I? Um, just twenty or thirty seconds. Then you smell it. This one has hints of freshly cut grass, fresh leaves, um, clean, herbaceous. And then when we taste it, you do a method called strapaggio where you create a repetitive spray effect in the mouth so it coats all parts of the mouth cavity and then you stop and then you swallow. So it sounds like this. Clean, herbaceous, bitter, which is an attribute of quality. And then you notice a delayed, elongated, peppery sensation in the throat. What causes that is oleocanthal, a natural antioxidant and polyphenol found in the oil, and is considered an attribute of quality. So that long, peppery burn, which is known as pungency, you want that to have a persistence because a great olive oil, when you do taste it, it will have secondary aromas and it will evolve in your head. And you should taste an olive oil after you take a little sip of it. For 10 minutes, 20 minutes, it's actually changing and evolving. If you taste an oil and it goes away really quickly, it's actually not good. No, I mean, it's still coating. It's not like heavy, buttery coating, but it's certainly still there. It resonates for a while. I did a terrible version of Strapaggio. I'm so glad no one was able to see me do that. Um, have you ever worked that sound into any of your scores, any of your music? No, I, I, keep, um, I keep olive oil out of music. 
That like is a that. very abstract thing to say. <laughs> I'm going to work on you. I'm going to try to figure out how to get olive oil into music. I mean, but, we, we got the yeah. guitar made out of an olive tree. I, I don't think I can get any good. closer. Uh, would you consider this lighter on the scale of olive oils? Or is there even that kind of scale? I'd consider this like a medium to medium robust oil. Um, it's not. Some oils are really like delicate and ethereal and sweet, and this is still on that more grassy, herbaceous side, which lets me know that this was harvested earlier in its life cycle when the olive was primarily green. If it was notes of almond and banana, that would be considered a later harvest um, when the olive is more ripe. So depending, you can actually taste an oil and work backwards and kind of know when they harvested and based on the aromas and, and flavors. That so you this is vanilla ice cream olive oil. This would be great on yes, vanilla ice cream. Yeah. No, this would be great on a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, vanilla ice cream, guys, try it. Get really good vanilla ice cream, pour some olive oil on it, and a little sea salt, and you have this wonderful savory dessert that kind of brings out the vanilla while adding a luscious textural component. It's one of the few times fat on fat works so well. Mm-hmm. Like, it just blew my mind the first time I ever tasted that. Uh, let's move on to the next olive oil. Okay, so the next one is from a producer called Mount Cedar. And this is a blend of 50% Frantoyo, 50% Coratina olives from a single estate that I sourced. The Frantoyo olive in South Africa tends to be a little more mellow and buttery, whereas the Coratina, which typically hails from Puglia, Italy, is one of the most assertive, gripping oils on the planet due to its high levels of antioxidants in this cultivar. It's called the Coratina olive. And um, this one is more assertive, gripping, and robust than the last one. So this one really is on the full... Um, this would be like an 8.5 or 9 out of 10 in terms of vibrancy and intensity. So don't strapaggio too hard. Um, <laughs> you know, unless you can handle it. But I, I, I think you should, always, you should always taste the oil. A lot of people eat olive oil, but very few people taste olive oil. And there is a difference. Yeah, it's like how my mom tells me that she hears me, but she's not really listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clean, vibrant, gripping, more bitter and intense and assertive, and that long, delayed, peppery finish. Both really, really good quality, different cultivars, different regions of South Africa, um, and you might use them on different food. I did not expect the viscosity of this one. Mm. Like, it, just just from a sight perspective, too, I thought this was going to be heavier, like, not cloying, but... Uh, no, you're right. It was just so clean up front. Kind of zippy. Yeah. Um, and you can never judge an oil by the color. People think the greener, the better. It's not true. Um, sometimes really green colored oils can have defects in them. Other times yellowish colored oils can taste really green and grassy. So always judge an oil by the smell and the taste, never by the color. Um, no, we, we have a third one to taste. Yeah, we have too. a third one. I brought bad olive oil to taste on <laughs> air because it's equally important to understand how bad olive oil tastes. And by bad, I don't mean my opinion. I mean, it's like a corked bottle of wine. The fruit was damaged somewhere along the process, and you can smell and taste these defects, which legally should render this as non-extra virgin, like either virgin or pure olive oil. But... There is a lot of olive oil fraud, and the majority of olive oils in the United States of America on the shelf that claim to be extra virgin have been found to be of a lower caliber. This has been tested by UC Davis uh, in California. When they pulled olive oils off the shelf, they found the majority of the olive oils did not meet extra virgin sensory standards. And so uh, it's important to learn what those taste like. Um, 
So let's taste this and we'll kind of talk <laughs> yeah. through what's wrong with this olive oil that is sold as extra virgin but is of a lower quality. So when you warm this and the first thing you do is you smell it, you kind of notice that it has a fusty, the, the, the definition is called fusty. It means uh, that the olives underwent anaerobic fermentation before they were extracted. And um, it kind of smells a little bit like black olive tapenade. That's actually a defect in an olive oil. You don't want your olive oil to smell like cured olives because the olive is taken right from the tree and pressed immediately. So this has some of that. It also has a little whiny, vinegary characteristic. Yeah, it's like slightly acerbic. And immediately on the smell alone, I know this is not extra virgin. If this was in an olive oil competition, for example, this would be disqualified and they would move on to the next oil. They wouldn't even score it. It would be X'd out and eliminated. And you do that. You're not just saying, if I were to, I know you've been the judge for international competitions. I've been a judge in New York at the New York International Olive Oil Competition at the Sol Doro Southern Hemisphere Competition in Santiago, Chile. And I sit with some of the best tasters in the world. And we're all, it doesn't even shock us anymore when we smell and taste bad olive oil. Please tell me there's a protocol when you smell something like this that someone ceremoniously stands up, collects all the olive oil, and just throws it in the trash. Um, well, you don't want to... Uh, whenever you're tasting with other people, you don't want to give any eye movement. It's like poker. Like You don't want to <laughs> reveal what you're tasting because you don't want to influence them. But a group of great tasters, you can smell it, and everyone immediately knows that there's something wrong with it. You don't even have to discuss it. And uh, that's why it's important to learn how to taste olive oil. So then when you taste this, you're going to notice it's actually greasy texturally on the mouth and sticks with you too long. That's not a good thing. And uh, it has a completely different textural quality. It tastes like olive oil that's been used once. Yeah, it's not. That is not a good thing. No, I'm glad um, uh, we ended our tasting with bad olive oil. <laughs> I, I can always go back to one of the better ones, I'm sure. Um, but it's important to taste good oil next to bad oil. So you see there is a huge difference because you can't just trust the front of the label. Mm -hmm. I, it is a confusing thing, the whole labeling. I, I know in a lot of these single subject um, you know, food products, uh, labeling is often meant to confuse rather than inform. So what should we be looking for on a label? When I go to a store and I'm trying to buy an olive oil, there's a few things to look for. One, it should be in a dark bottle. If it's in a clear bottle, that's not good because light causes olive oil to photo-oxidize. Then I look for the harvest date. I want it to be fresh. Um, the fresher, the better. So if you're trying to buy Northern Hemisphere oil, it will be from the previous year. So it's right now it's June 2019. If you want fresh, quality Italian olive oil or Mediterranean olive oil, you want to look for a harvest date that says... 2018 or October 2018, and that lets you know it's from the most recent harvest. Um, then you want to know the specific cultivars it's made with. If you don't know what olives are in it, how can you make an educated guess as to what that oil might taste like? Is it made with Arbequina olives? Is it made with Piqual olives? Is it made with um, Frantoyo or Lecino or Pendolino olives, etc.? So you need to know the cultivars. If not, it's like buying a bottle of wine that just says red wine. How do you know what it's going to taste like? There's no year. There's no grapes on it. You need that stuff. And then you want it from a single estate. Um, you don't want your olives being blended from Spain and Tunisia and Morocco and Turkey and Greece. They don't grow together. They don't go together. And that's really what a lot of this cheap bulk oil is. This stuff gets shipped to Italy, bottled in Italy, then shipped to the States. On the front, it says packed in Italy. But the olives are not even Italian. 
And the United States, over decades, has become a dumping ground for the unwanted oils from throughout the Mediterranean. So looking for these things is really key. And great producers telegraph this stuff because they're proud that their oil's fresh. They're proud of the cultivars they grow. They're proud of their estate. I mean, you, you do tours, right? Like, I know you've been to Tuscany and brought people over. Where, where do you plan on taking people to see uh, that it is an agricultural product? Um, we might do something with Action Bronson for a show, Fuck That's Delicious, um, because he wants to show people what fresh olive oil is like. And sometimes I think like some kind of like media TV thing might be a way to reach a larger audience for them to see how incredible this is. Because when you actually see olives get harvested and crushed and turned into olive oil, transformed into olive oil in front of your eyes, it's incredible. And you view olive oil on a shelf differently from that point forward. I'm back strapaging. Uh, how do you say that word again? Strapaggio. strapaggio I turned into a verb. Um, one of the South Africans just to get the taste of that other bad olive oil out of my mouth. Totally. You never want to end with bad olive oil. Bad idea. On that, I do want to end on the fact that you have, you, you do so many things, but, you know, in the realm of music, you play guitar, bass, drums, uh, piano, and a Bansuri flute. Uh, can you explain to me what this is and um, how you ever picked up this instrument? Right, so this is for all the uh, classical Indian fans out there who like Indian classical music. Uh, this is an Indian Bansuri flute. Um, that my friend got when he was over in India from this guy named Subhash. And he went to his house, and this guy, he's a master flute maker, played the different flutes he had, and my friend thought this one sounded like, had the right range and the right feel to it. And so he got it for me, and uh, I actually have traveled all over the world with this, because when I go to different countries where they speak another language, it's nice to be able to connect with them through music, the universal language. And the flute is so great because it's so light, you can bring it with you. And if there's long layovers, you can play it, and uh, people seem to love it. So I'll, uh, I'm going to sign out and uh, rock some flute at the end of this thing. Awesome. And people can go to, what is it, groveandvine.com? Yeah, check out groveandvine.com, where you can order um, the freshest olive oil in the world, curated by me on premise during the harvest, um, by the bottle, or sign up for a membership and just have them keep coming, and you'll get to taste the world of olive oil. Always chasing the freshest. Thank you, Nicholas. A big thank you to our sponsor, Music by Cookies, Matt Patterson Engineering, and hope to have you back here. Listen to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.